You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Uh, if you want, you could turn into your Bibles. In fact, I encourage you to do so, to look at it, to see it in the Word of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. And if you, don't, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, we, we got some Bibles for you. If you lost your Bible or don't have a Bible, you can steal the Bible that's on the table. It's not stealing if, I, if you say you could have it, by the way. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. This is a really interesting uh, chapter, very interesting passage as we continue to talk about the miracles of Jesus. And it's an interesting story about John the Baptist and Jesus kind of having a conversation via some messengers. So Matthew 11, verse 1 says, After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John had heard in prison what Christ was doing. Do you see that? Just drawing attention. John the Baptist, who we were talking about, the guy that baptized Jesus, then gets the name John the Baptist, uh, heard in prison what Christ was doing. It says he sent his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, followers, to Jesus and asked him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. I've asked Aaron Higgins to come and pray for us as we begin and continue talking about the miracles of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, come before you today and uh, just want to thank you that you really are here working miracles amongst us even today and that your power is displayed to us in many miraculous ways. And Father God, just pray that our eyes are open and our ears hear everything that you want us to hear and thank you for mom amen you know it's mother's day today right everybody know that you call your mom you give her a card and a flower or something nice uh, a little plaque world's best mom (laughs) when i was a kid i grew up uh in a military family anybody else military brat uh yeah and so my dad was in the air force specifically and uh he was gone. I think in the Air Force they call it a TDY. It stands for temporary duty. I'm not sure what the what duty DY TDY. And my dad, when I was in, when I was six years old, my brother, little brother, I have one brother. He was three years old. My dad was gone for an entire year, and you can imagine as a little kid, like your dad's gone for an entire year. He was serving uh, the, in the Air Force in Korea, and he was gone. And uh, maybe some of you have experienced that with your mommy or daddy had to leave as a kid for a year, sometimes even more, sometimes less and lots of little trips. And uh, for my mom, I imagine it was very hard as, I mean, basically for a year, she was a single mom raising two little boys for a year. And we'd send dad uh, letters. I would carefully color in the lines and then rip out my page. And then we'd mail my colored drawing to daddy. And uh, (laughs) we would uh, talk to dad on the phone. Hey, dad. Uh, And he'd say, are you being good for mom? And I'd say, kind (laughs) of. And he'd say, you know, how's preschool going? And I would say, oh, it's horrible. We're we're learning how to finger paint. I I just don't get it. I'm not there yet, dad. I don't know. 
What's going on? It's hard, man. <laughs> and uh, just talking over the phone, some e- uh, not emails, uh, way before the days of emails, uh, letters, and uh, it was just a hard year. You know, as a little kid growing up a year without your dad, and the day came for dad to come home after a year of not seeing dad. And so mom was going to bring us to the babysitter. Mom was going to go uh, drive to the, to the airport, pick up dad, and then we'd, we'd see dad. And uh, this is before the days of email, before the days of, I guess, kind of computers handling all the flights and stuff like that, I guess, kind of. I mean, let's see, I'm 29, so that was when I was six. So that was like a long time ago, right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, my mom gets to the airport, finds out. She gets all the way there. The flight arrives, finds out Dad wasn't on the flight. And there was some sort of, you know, that military. I don't want to make fun of it too much, but there's paperwork and protocol. And, and my dad didn't make that flight because of personnel reasons, not enough room on the plane, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm not really sure why as a kid. I, I don't know. I just, he, he wasn't on the plane. So my mom comes, picks us up from the babysitter. We're crying and screaming. Dad's not going to be home. Um, next day comes around. Same thing happens. Mom goes. Mom drops us off at the babysitter. Mom goes to uh, to the airport, pick up dad. Dad's not there. She, she gets a call at the airport saying, oh, he's still in Korea. <laughs> It'll be another at least 24 hours until he's there. So next day comes around. Same thing. Ba- we go to the babysitters. Mom goes to the airport. This time dad's there she brings dad to the house to rest she comes picks us up and we're just ecstatic you can imagine haven't seen dad in a year um just had talked to him over the phone and sent him letters and cool stuff and we're gonna see dad that day the excitement and and i I probably asked my mom a thousand times in the car so when we get home dad's really gonna be there right so so when we get home and dad's gonna be there and and he's gonna be there right because when we get home he's gonna be there and you know as a kid you're just kind of like reassuring reassuring yourself and my mom just i think she just wanted to build excitement and kind of play with our heads a little bit i don't know and said well you, you know just as a mother would saying oh you'll just have to wait until we get home, see if dad's there. Or she would remind us, well, what did I tell you when I picked you up from the, from the babysitter? That dad was home, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, you remember you telling me that? <laughs> and there's building this excitement. So we run out of the car, out of our little car seats, uh, me dragging my three-year-old little brother. Uh, <laughs> open the door, get inside the house. No dad. Where's dad? And we're kind of looking around, and my mom says something like, if you really believe he's here, you better start looking for him. And so we go room to room. We can't find him. We start looking under beds. Then we start going closet to closet, uh, opening up different closets. We get to our room, me and my little little bro's room. Open up the closet. There's Dad. <laughs> and it is just such a... I, I could still picture... You know, seeing my dad, it's a little emotional, actually, just to consider it now. And my dad just starts crying and holding us, and mom's in the background. And she starts, just tears of joy, you know, as re- reuniting as a family. Is It was just really cool. And, and I, I tell that story to, to, to kind of put myself back in the car ride to the house and, and the excitement. And mom just kind of not really giving us a straight answer. And, and letting us build our excitement and faith and saying, um, you'll just have to wait until you get home to see if dad's there. Or what did I tell you when we picked you up from the babysitters, uh, if dad was there or not? And just kind of reminding us of uh, and building our excitement. And um, not to, to stretch that those comparisons too much, but I see some of those ideas in this passage of Matthew chapter 11 of Jesus not giving a straight answer, 
but in a way building the faith of John the Baptist. And so we're going to dive into this passage. Um, there's some notes for you to take down notes. By the way, we've turned it. If you're, if you're an old-time Sunday schooler, we've turned it 180 degrees. Or is that 90? Just 90. <laughs> I guess it'd be upside down, wouldn't it? Uh, but this gives you like 50% more space for notes. Because, uh, the, frankly, there wasn't enough room for notes. And I got I just get... You know, a little nervous sometimes, running out of space for notes. Uh, but before we dive into the study, uh, a few words. If you're newish, if you've never filled out a first-timer card, we're not going to embarrass you. Uh, but <laughs> you can fill out that. We'll, we'll put you on our email list. And in exchange for this, we'll give it to the front desk, uh, front desk, info table, whatever that is over there. And they will give you a CD of some of our original worship songs and a, and a sermon that we've recorded, a little welcome thing, just as a way of saying thanks for coming today and to the mill. And so you could do that if you're brand new. Uh, the cover of the millet, both pe- this, is, this is Cliff and Robin. Do you know those people? Some of you may. Some of you are, <laughs> no, I don't know them. Uh, they're really cool people. They both independently said, Joe, you better explain that because it looks like we're dating. It's <laughs> 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 so both of them. <laughs> Just to embarrass them some more. But Robin, the girl in the picture, she has been our Sunday school core leader, but she's, she's going to move to London and study abroad. What's her name again? Sorry if you didn't get that. Uh, but let's give Robin a hand. She's been uh, faithfully serving the Mill Sunday School. If you, di- if you didn't know, the food just doesn't show up back there, and this, the room just doesn't get set up. And there's people that do that. The Mill Sunday School leadership team does that. And we have a Mill Sunday School leadership team leader who, who was Robin. And there's kind of still is. There's a transition with the other guy, Cliff. Where's Cliff? There's Cliff. <laughs> so Big, Big Cliff is going to be our new core leader. So just to highlight them and to say, if you've ever considered being a part of the Mill Sunday School leadership team or even the Mill team on a Friday night and doing stuff, we're always looking for people. And we call it our leadership team. And we really believe that Jesus led by service. And so all things considered, it's really more of a service team than, than like leading a small group team or something like that. So we encourage if you're at all interested, there is applications also at our little front desk table area deal thing, majig, what? All right, who's ready to study the Bible? Me too, me too. Uh, John the Baptist, this story is just interesting. I, I look at Matthew 11, chapter 11, verse 2, says that John heard, when John was in prison, he heard what Christ was doing. And it, it says that he sent his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, he had disciples too, to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Good question, don't you think? But I'm going to propose, and there are, by the way, different ways of looking at this passage and considering what was really going on here. We have what we have. Um, but I, I consider that this was, was John in prison maybe thinking too much. Have you ever got... You, you knew what was true, you knew what was correct, but then you got to think about it too much, and then you got more confused. Like, has anybody ever been taking a test, and you're like, oh, the answer's A. And then you go back to it, and you're like, oh, man, I'm confused. And then you just start crying and weeping. Oh, I have no idea. I don't, I don't even know where I'm at. This is horrible. Um, I wonder if that's, uh, not to make too light of the situation, but what John, maybe he just had too much time to think and to doubt in prison, because that's not the tune he was singing 
when, when he first saw Jesus and Jesus was baptized. Let's turn to, uh, let's see, it's John chapter 1. So turn a few pages, a few gospels over to the gospel of John chapter 1. And this is what John the Baptist says about Jesus. Maybe not the first time he saw him. I said that, but I don't know if I mean that. They kind of, they grew up together. They were cousins, uh, we think. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but here is John the Baptist, uh, baptized, the story of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. So here in this passage, John is in prison. And by the way, a few chapters later, he's going to get beheaded. Not a good day to be John the Baptist. Uh, but he's, he's in prison. It seems to me like he's doubting, going to Jesus saying, are you the one, or is there someone else who is going to come? But this is what John says. Uh, go back, maybe a year. I'm not sure of the timeline exactly. But back in time to a year, this is John baptizing Jesus. So John chapter 1, uh, verse 29. John 1, 29. It says this. The next day, John, and that's John the Baptist, same dude, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me. He has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water is that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man upon whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Then he says this, big one, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So John says all that, and then it seems he, he, he seems like he's asking a different question. As he's in prison and doubting, it seems as though that's that's the way I read it. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And then Matthew, going back to Matthew, if you want to go back there and look at it, Jesus says, Jesus doesn't give him a straight answer. A straight answer would be, yes, I am the one who is to come. Do not expect anyone else. I am the Christ. I am God here on this earth. That's what, I mean, that's a direct answer, right? Instead, he says this, which I think is just interesting. And I already read it this morning, but he says, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. And then he says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So basically, Jesus, I mean, Jesus doesn't give him a straight answer. Jesus kind of says that the miracles themselves testify to who I am. I'm not going to give you a straight answer. I want your faith to be built. And I, I want to to give you an answer that transcends just a simple answer like, yes, take it on my own authority that I am the one, but take it on the authority of the miracles that, I, that are being performed and that I am performing because he's God. And then he says this in verse 7. It says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And this story, the same story is in the Gospel of Luke. And it says in Luke that the disciples were in the distance. Or excuse me, yeah, that John's disciples were in the distance. And then Jesus begins to speak to the crowds. So the way I picture it and see it is that they're leaving. They're like in the, maybe you could see a long ways, and they're like in the distance. Maybe they, probably not within earshot. Jesus turns to the crowd and begins to brag about John the Baptist to the crowd. And so John is going to get this testimony back. Are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? And John gets the testimony back of miracles are happening. Dead are raised. The deaf hear. The blind see. And then Jesus begins to speak to the crowd. So I don't think John got this testimony back. 
But here's what Jesus says about John. And John's the dude that went out, remember, ate the locusts and honey. Remember that? Where it wore camel's skin. Isn't that the same dude? I mean, what, what are you doing? Like, what's a camel skin jacket? I don't know. Probably pretty weird. Probably a thrift store pickup. Um, <laughs> just kidding, by the way. Uh, what did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are kings and palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, more than a prophet. More than John the Baptist. More than a prophet. He's bragging about who John the Baptist is. This is the one in whom it is written, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way to, to you. I tell you the truth. And then this. This is amazing. I mean, talk about Jesus, God himself, bragging about you. Imagine him saying this about you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has never there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty cool, don't you think? Bueller. That's awesome. That's amazing. That Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is the greatest, that no one is from a woman. And I think I guess everyone's kind of from a woman, right? I mean, it's mom day, let's be honest. Uh, uh, no one is greater than John the Baptist. And then he says, yet who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than me, uh, he... For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forcefully men lay a hold of it. For all the prophets of the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. And so what I see in this passage, to summarize, John is doubting in prison. He sends his disciples, John sends John's disciples to Jesus saying, Are you the one or is there someone else? And Jesus says, Go tell John that miracles are happening. So miracles, the testimony of the miracles in themselves prove that Jesus is the one. And then as his disciples are leaving, he turns to the crowd. And so John the Baptist probably doesn't get to hear this, how cool he is. I mean, if he's in prison doubting, wouldn't it be nice to hear, you are the greatest of men ever born of a woman? That'd be nice to hear, you know, you're having a bad day in prison. That'd be nice to hear. But I don't think John gets to hear that. He just gets to hear the testimony of miracles to build his faith. And I, I really, as, as I talked last week, one of the main points was that in a miracle, there's always room to doubt. And I, I talked about uh, one of the miracles that occurred where a woman uh, was crippled and Jesus healed her right there. And it happened to be on a Sabbath. And the reaction to a miracle being performed right before the Pharisees' very eyes was, you know, there's seven, six days to heal. Please don't heal on the Sabbath. That's the reaction after seeing a miracle take place. And I think there's, as I, I talked about last week, there's, I think there's always room to doubt in, in miracles. And because there's always room to doubt, there's always room for our faith to be built up and for the glory of God to be revealed through a miracle. And so uh, as a way of continuing that kind of theme, um, I just want to point out that the last verse of this sentence is kind of a main theme this morning as well, that wisdom. So it's Matthew 11, verse uh, 19. The last part of that verse says, Wisdom is proved right by her actions. Which, by the way, we always put a sweet quote of the day uh, on the back of, we call this the skillet, your notes. There it is. It's, quote, Jesus. Wisdom is proved right by her actions. And so as we talk about miracles and the purpose of miracles uh, and kind of continue the 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 talk from last week a little bit jesus did a ton of miracles a ton a whole 
boatload, a mess load. Um, there's, there's stories of miracles, around 30 to 40 miracles were recorded in their stories in the, in the four Gospels. But then there's some verses like Luke 440. You don't have to turn there, but it says that, that it, it seems as though Jesus kind of spent the whole day there, and it says that he uh, healed everyone that came forward to be healed. And so was it five people? Was it ten? Was it a hundred people that came and, and got healed? I don't know. Uh, everyone that came forward got healed. And then it says in John twenty one twenty five that many more, Jesus did many more miracles than these, but uh, they're not recorded. Um, and so just this testimony that tons of miracles happened and uh, all kinds of miracles, the forces, God controlling forces of nature. We talked last week about how the majority of them are healings. Some of them are people being raised from the dead. Um, and there's, there's kind of a phrase. Have you heard the phrase in the New Testament? And it's in the Old Testament as well. Signs and wonders. Have you heard that phrase? It, it commonly it goes with miracles. This signs and wonders. And I kind of looked up and did a little Greek study because I'm a nerd. Anybody else a nerd in here? It's okay to do a little Greek study, right? Uh, so I did a little Greek study. The, if, you're, if you're wondering, the, the Greek word for the sign of, of signs and wonders is simeon. And a sign, obviously, something that points to something else. And so the miracle is to point many of the miracles that are performed by Jesus. I would say all of them really point to the fact that he is God. He is able to heal because he's God on this earth. And so as Jesus' testimony to John in prison says, here, here's some miracles that are happening. These are signs that proclaim that Jesus really is the one. Don't wait for anyone else. He is the one to come. And then the wonder the, the Greek word teros, an event that, that causes a true type of awe and amazement, a, a, a real jaw-dropping awe. This is amazing, truly. And so the signs and wonder wonders, the purpose to build faith and to glorify God. And as, that was the definition we gave last week, and I began thinking about that, just that definition, not the definition, the purpose of miracles, to build our faith and to um, glorify God. And I kind of realized... You know, that, that definition, does, does everybody kind of like the definition? So I'm not the definition. The purpose of miracles to, to build faith and to glorify God. Um, I, I began to read some of the miracle stories. If you want, you could turn to Luke 8. This is a, a really cool miracle story. Luke 8, beginning in, uh, looks like 42. It's in the context of, of Jesus raising from the dead a... Uh, a 12-year-old girl. And um, this kind of shows me, as, as we read this story, this kind of shows me that, you know, the purpose of a miracle is to build our faith and to um, to build our faith, to glorify God. But but let's not get overly brainy about, about the purpose kind of definition of a miracle. It seems like a lot of these miracles happen, especially the ones surrounding healings, are, are people that are just extremely desperate for a healing, and and they're not wondering about what's the purpose of a miracle here, or what's the well, how is God going to be glorified in all this? They're just desperate, going to Jesus because that's their only hope. And this is an amazing story of that kind of miracle taking place. Uh, it's in the context of an even, I mean, and consider an even better miracle of of a woman being raised from the dead, and this this man this Jewish it says in verse uh, looks like forty one. A man named Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, came and told Jesus that his um, pleaded with him because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. And so Jesus is on the way to, to heal this girl. And then word comes back that she has died. 
And then Jesus responds to the people that say, so people come to Jesus, say, don't bother coming, she's already dead. And Jesus says, she's just asleep. And people think he's silly, and they start laughing. They think that's pretty funny. Um, But Jesus continues to go, and on his way, let me read the story. So this is the end of verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So there's lots of people. Imagine like little corridors of the city and lots of people trying to get close to him and touch him and be healed. And, you know, and it says, and then it goes on to say this, a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And just a note about this, has everybody passed a sixth grade health class? No, but okay, if if you need to leave, you can. Uh, (laughs) But uh, there's, there's cycles of a woman. Um, and uh, throwing that out there for you. Uh, she had been, th- so this is what's really going on. And I say that, I'll say to say something else. There's something seriously wrong with her body, that she had been bleeding for 12 years. And, in the, and I say that to say that in the Jewish tradition, the Jewish custom, especially ancient Judaism, uh, Leviticus 15 is a whole chapter. You could read it on your own. It's fascinating reading material. Uh, Leviticus 15 is a whole chapter about how someone is unclean uh, for, from dairy, various human bodily secretions. <laughs> and one of them is oh, a woman on her cycle, that she would be unclean during that time. And if anyone touched a woman in, in their unclean time, that then they would be unclean. Just by touching her, you would be unclean. And here this woman is, and we're going to see that she goes running through the crowd. Imagine her just touching lots of people, not people touching her, but she's touching people. And people would have known that she has this problem and that she was just considered unclean. I mean, consider the desperation of this woman, that not only was she sick and had her body wasn't right, but that the whole culture considered her unclean for the last 12 years. I mean, it puts a very desperate situation on this woman. And it says that no one could heal her, but she became, she came up behind him, touching the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And there's, there's various ideas about what was going on here. Uh, that Jesus was God, right? Right, Jesus is God. Jesus is, has the full divinity of God. Is God omniscient? Knows everything? Yes. And I'm not trying to trick you. I'm just, I'm just asking some questions. And so uh, Jesus was God. Jesus is omniscient. Some people might argue, oh, maybe he limited himself and really didn't know who touched him. Or some people would say it was kind of a rhetorical question like, like Adam and Eve in the garden. Right after they sinned, God is walking through the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? And it's an opportunity for Adam to, to reveal himself to God and apologize, so on and so forth. So it could be a rhetorical question that he really knew, because, I mean, he's God, right? Who touched me? Jesus asked. And then Peter, <laughs> Peter's like, duh. And then when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. I mean, it's a big crowd, right? He's, he's asking, who touched me? But, uh, but Jesus said, someone touched me, and I know that power has gone from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling, as you can imagine. She came trembling, totally scared, nervous, fell at his feet. And, and as, as the kind of giving you some more context between, you know, this woman is going through this crowd, touching all these people, she was putting herself in quite a bit of danger. I mean, the crowd could have turned on her if someone was like, oh, isn't that the woman who's unclean? She just touched all of us. We're all unclean. They could have turned on her and possibly stoned her for that sin of touching all these people. And so, as you can imagine, that, that could be the reason why she came trembling. 
before Jesus, fell at his feet, and in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Isn't that awesome? It's a miracle story happening right there that, that this woman in her desperation, not head, head thinking through, well, what's the, what's the purpose? What's the definition of a miracle? What, what are my pros and cons of, of trying to go and touch Jesus? She, she just, it says she went and she touched the edge of his garments and she probably touched all these other people and then came before the Lord trembling, scared to death that, that he was going to maybe embarrass her or she was going to be stoned right there for touching all these people. And I just see, I see it as we're talking kind of heady knowledge, which is good. This is no Sunday school. This is a safe place to be a nerd, right? Right. <laughs> um, that, uh, that we're studying this heady kind of knowledge of miracles, but but really, it comes down, there's a lot of faith involved. And there's a lot of, it se- seems like quite a few miracles are about just being desperate before the Lord. And it said, Jesus says, daughter, your, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And miracle stories are woven through the entirety of the four Gospels. And if you're taking notes, we're now on uh, miracles don't happen, question mark. And I want to talk about, there's there's this uh, throughout history, I guess, throughout the Bible being written, there's been people that say, oh, let's believe parts of the Bible are true, but then let's take out other parts. Let's, let's say Jesus is a good teacher. He's a good guy, but he's, he's really not God. He's really not divine. Um, there's, there was a movement back in the 1800s, 1700s, and 1800s, which is still kind of around today in different forms. It was really popular there. It was called deism. I'll write the term on the board for you, for you nerds writing things down. He is, he is, um, right? Man, I always, such a bad speller. Even simple words. Yeah, that's right. How about that? Yes, round of applause for, (laughs) that's bad, I apologize. Uh, Deism. Uh, The definition of deism is that God, I'll give you an analogy, that God is, uh, took the universe, all of humanity, all of creation, and kind of like an old clock that didn't run on batteries or solar power, kind of had to wind it up. It was all mechanical. That God wound up the universe, set it down, and then God just walked away. It's like, I got other things to do. I'm going to let that be over there. No big deal. <laughs> but that's not what we believe, is it? No, we believe that God, we, as Christians, we believe God is with us. He is imminent, that we can pray to him, and he listens, that he can do perform miracles that he is god he listens he cares he loves us he sent his only son to die for us he didn't just get everything moving and then walk away um uh one of our homeboys thomas jefferson you've heard of him right he's on the isn't he on the two dollar bill yeah um (laughs) uh thomas jefferson and i always feel like i should say a word about our founding fathers as a patriotic american that i love our founding fathers, I, I, the, the In God We Trust is on our logos. And uh, I believe that many of our founding fathers were Christian and set apart this nation for Christian, uh, for religious freedoms, but as kind of a Christian nation, In God We Trust and all this. Um, but Thomas Jefferson, a pretty strict deist, and to name another few names just in case you're wondering. Uh, George Washington was a big deist. Benjamin Franklin, maybe the biggest deist of the, the bunch. Ethan Allen, uh, Paul Revere, all deists, like believe that God, God was real, but he kind of wound up the earth, set it back, and then God kind of walked away, as the analogy goes, and the various theology that goes along with that. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, 
kind of rewrote the Bible. Have you heard about this back in the day? Um, it's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. He called it the life and morals of Jesus Christ. I jokingly call it the TJV. <laughs> good, huh? I just made that up this morning. Uh, what he basically did, and this, this may make you mad, as I began to think about it, it made me kind of mad, that he picked and chose what he wanted to believe. So he took the four Gospels and he rewrote it, taking out miracle stories, taking out anything supernatural, taking out anything that made Jesus divine, taking out the Trinity, taking out the resurrection, taking out mainly the miracles that said, Jesus, oh, miracles don't happen, so let's, let's, let's say Jesus was a good teacher. He did some good things, but of course he didn't do the miracles. I mean, that's just silly to think about. No, no real thinker would think that he did miracles in his opinion is what he thought. Um, and so he took those out. And there's a movement today. Maybe you've heard of it. It's not as popular, I guess, uh, as in the late 90s. It's called the Jesus Seminar, the Search for the Historical Jesus. Have you heard of those kind of lingo? Um, it's this big, uh, supposedly scholarly club uh, that has, they have, it's really, it's, they call it the Jesus Seminar, but it's really like a group, a committee of 200 people, and they get to decide what really happened in the Bible. And so they are all coming from like a perspective that miracles don't happen. And they get to vote. So they'll read a little passage and say, did this really happen? And they'll get to vote with, they vote with beads and they vote with like a little beads and buckets. And uh, it's kind of cool, I guess, but not really. Um, a red bead, you could vote with a red bead saying, this really happened. Jesus said this, this is the truth, this happened. Uh, red bead, pink bead, uh, somewhat probable that Jesus said something like this in this passage or did something like this. A gray bead, it didn't happen at all, but there is an idea here that's truth. And a black bead, nothing remotely happened. It's just totally made up. And so they'll go through and say, could this miracle story, could this, what Jesus said, happened? And they'll say, ah, nah, black bead. Everybody throws in the black bead. And they just vote. And they get this Bible that's all these different colors of what really happened and what didn't happen. What's ridiculous about that? And, and maybe you're a little angry learning about these things, as I kind of was, that people, that people just have, say, oh, I can choose what is real and what is not real. And I could say he was a good teacher. Even though he taught that he was God, I, he was just a good teacher. That doesn't make any sense to me. Have you heard the liar, lunatic, Lord argument? If you haven't, it's fascinating. Wikipedia or something. Uh, it's C.S. Lewis's argument. Um, it's fascinating that... that I won't go into it. It's, it's really cool, though. Um, so the Jesus Seminar, people that look at the miracles and say, maybe something kind of like this happened, might say that, oh, Jesus was a good healer with uh, herbal remedies and herbal medicines. And, uh, and maybe when he spit, remember the story of him spitting onto the ground, making some mud and then wiping in somebody's eye? Maybe there was some chamomile and sagebrush and lotions and herbs in it that helped the blind man see. Or uh, they'll say things like that. Or they'll say, oh, there's the one gospel. Do you remember, or there's all four gospels, the one story, the one miracle story in all four gospels. Do you remember what it is? I, I kind of hear it. The feeding of the 5,000. And so they'll say, oh, since this one is in all four, it probably did happen. But the miracle here is that everybody was hungry um, and everybody came way out into the wilderness to hear Jesus but it was lunchtime. Nobody had any lunch. This little boy came forward. He had some fishes and some loaves. And, oh, what a great story. This boy comes forward. Jesus makes an example out of him. And so then everybody's like, oh, I got, I got some sandwiches here. I got some, anybody want tuna? And so people are just going to their bags and like, oh, let's share. It's a miracle of sharing. And uh, 
what's recorded in Scripture is that the disciples were amazed. What's recorded in Scripture is that there was 12 baskets of food left over in amazement to the disciples. That's a lot different of, of kind of uh, details than people pulled sandwiches out of their bag and said, oh, I got some tuna. Anybody want to trade me for a, a juice box? Um, so miracles, miracles are so woven into the fabric of the Gospels that they, to go back to our quote of the day that Jesus said, that miracles, or that, excuse me, that, uh, that wisdom is proved right by her actions. That the actions of Jesus, the miracles, kind of in a way proved that Jesus was Lord. And that's the testimony that he sent back to John the Baptist in prison. And so as we talk today, uh, I want to ask you a question and uh, I'll, I'll tell a story first. But I, the question is, what keeps us? What keeps you and I? And you can think personally. I won't embarrass you. You can just kind of think to yourself. Uh, what keeps you? What keeps me? What keeps us from praying for miracles today? And, I, and I've, I've prayed for miracles before. And I, I think I, I feel as though I could pray for more miracles. Um, but what keeps us from seeing? And what keeps, excuse me. What keeps us from praying from miracles today. And as you think about that, I, I, in this last couple of weeks, I've been asking lots of people, have you ever seen a miracle? I, to tell me your story. And I, lots of people have told me. It was like, well, I, I was healed of this, or well, I saw this. And for me, and sometimes people ask me, have you ever seen a miracle? And I would say, I would say yes, I've seen a miracle. And as going back to last week, I think there's always room for doubt in a miracle. And I could look back and say, oh, well, maybe, you know, it's just a random coincidences and blah, blah, blah. And I could discount it. Or I could put my faith and say, yes, God is real. God does do works. And, and here's, uh, so I wanted to share a quick story with you of something that, uh, probably the, the biggest thing that I've seen. And I've only shared the story a few times. Uh, but it was back in my college days. And uh, I lived in Utah at the time. And uh, I wasn't a Mormon. And um, going to this little, uh, little Baptist church, and I had just been filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, was charismatic, spoken tongues and, and, and was learning prophecy and all this cool stuff, which is a, a, a brand new other topic for another time of Sunday school. But I was just really into that and was at this Baptist church where it was kind of stifled. And they'd say, no, those things don't happen anymore. The miracles don't happen anymore. And so I was very stifled and, and I kind of got very legalistic. And so uh, it was a period of my life that I would say was a spiritual high. You know what I'm talking about? Like we go through, um, some of us, uh, probably all of us, go through times of low spiritual, you know, you're just not feeling it. God's right there. You know he's sovereign. You just don't feel it. And then other times you're like, man, this was amazing. This was beautiful, this, this experience or this time of prayer, whatever. Uh, it was a time in my life that was kind of a spiritual high, but it wasn't perfect. I, I think I was very legalistic, and I um, would, would pray a lot and read my Bible a ton, but I was kind of mean with people and, and didn't like people. <laughs> And uh, one of my big things, I don't know why I've jumped on this train, but I didn't like movies. Movies were evil and of the devil. And even like children's families movies, horrible, never see a movie ever. Um, I don't know why I did that and said that. But I remember one particular time, uh, <laughs> our college group had a Christmas party and we were going to ch- exchange gifts and then go see the horrible movie, the sinful Grinch who stole Christmas. <laughs> And I remember, I was just kind of legalistic and, and silly about it, but to, to say that it was a spiritual high, but it wasn't perfect, just to kind of frame that. And I remember going to this party, exchanging some gifts, and just kind of waiting 
for somebody to ask me, Joe, are you going to see the Grinch who stole Christmas? And somebody asked me, and I just jumped on them and was like, ah, uh, like just saying, oh, it's sinful to see movies. You're so evil. Um, and so not, it's kind of a legalistic time in my life, but a spiritual, as far as spiritual goes, it was a spiritual high for me uh, looking back at my life. And I prayed a lot. There was this tree uh, and this parking lot, parking lot, tree, and then like this cliff area that overlooked this big plains area. Over, I could see the Salt Lake from this uh, area that overlooked the cliff. And I'd go out there during lunch and after a school and stuff like that and pray. And I was learning how to play guitar. I played worship music. Pretty cool time. And I would sometimes, uh, quite a few times, I just spent the night there, just under this tree, a little blanket, warm summer evening, spent the night praying waking up and praying and, and, and just spending the night. And uh, I was spending the night and just really began to pray for God to appear. I said, God, I want you to appear. I want you to give me a sign. Why is it always, sometimes I feel you, sometimes I don't. I want to know you. I want to know you're here. Has anybody prayed a prayer like that? Uh, I, I prayed that prayer and then, and then got really scared because uh, there was a clear, calm night and the wind started blowing. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. And my first reaction was, wow, God, is this you? And then, and then I began to get really scared when random thunder came out of nowhere. And just boom, boom, boom. And uh, I got a little scared. And uh, a lightning struck, not the tree I was under, thank goodness, but a tree just right across, like maybe 100 yards away. And it caught on fire. And uh, I was getting very nervous, as you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that the lightning might strike my tree and the roots and the, you know, Wikipedia, how you get struck by lightning. Trees usually aren't the best place to go. Um, and so I'm under this tree and uh, I'm really scared, as you can imagine, and just praying to God. I was, I think I was screaming, God, don't kill me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, looking back, it's, it's kind of funny, I guess. But in the moment, just a terror came over me and praying. And then as it subsided, as the tree across the way, the fire went out and the storm kind of went away. I just looked uh, right there under that moment. I just thanked God for that experience that it was frightening a little bit, but it was, it was, I felt as though God was there and it kind of came out of nowhere. And, um, and so I wanted to share that and say, there was the, there was a time in my life that I was, that was asking for miracles, maybe more so than now. I don't know if I compared, you know, how much I pray for things to happen now as, as then, then, um, it was, it was a time when I was really praying for miracles and really asking for God's presence. And I think something that uh, I've been learning how to fly fish. Anybody fly fish? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and they say, whoever watches their line, so you throw your line out, whoever watches their line the most catches the most fish. It's, it's a saying that fly fishermen say because there's usually the flies are little baby tiny flies, literally, and uh, a fish will bite it and usually like realize that's the same food and spit it right back out. And so if you see your line move, you're, you set the hook. You just ram, like, and then you fight this monster in. Um, and so the, the phrase is whoever, whoever watches their line most catches the most fish. And I, as an analogy, I think, I think it's true to say, it's okay to say, it's fair to say that the kind of person that prays for the most miracles sees the most miracles. And so I want to ask you that question that I asked you before, before I told my story. What are some things that keep us for, from praying for miracles? And as a, just as a kind of fun thing, I have a little, just to get your, your thinking about it a little bit, um, I have uh, a scale, highly disagree to agree, the five through one. Anybody taken a test like that before? 
This test is huge. It's two questions. It's brutal. It's going to be brutally hard. Um, here, why don't we, there's some leaders that could pass these out. Uh, I need one, but uh, I made like a million of them, so we should have enough. <laughs> Sometimes I just get excited at the copy machine, you know. Uh, and it's really a question, and this is just to help you get thinking. Uh, don't, don't put your name on it. It's the lessons about healing, and we've been talking about healing and miracles, have been helpful for me in believing that healings are for today. And then there's the other question that says, lessons about healing have helped me believe that I could pray for the sick. And so uh, literally take two seconds and do this. Uh, don't put your name on it. Uh, after, after you're done, you can fold it up. And uh, I would, I, we would love to see what kind of where Sunday school is at and all this. But then, uh, so answer the question and then fold it up. Uh, then I guess just leave it, leave it on your desk. We'll, we'll find them. So just fold it up to a million pieces. We'll get it. Um, but it's, it's really to help you think. Like what, if, what do you really believe about praying and praying for miracles and so would you, as you do that, take a few minutes as well to turn to someone around you, uh, find, seek out a friend and say, what do you think? And have you prayed for miracles? Have you seen a miracle? Mainly the big question, I'll write it right here. What keeps us from praying for miracles? And maybe you're, you're really open to praying for miracles, but... You're just like, I could pray some more. What keeps you from praying more? Don't be afraid to chit-chat. I know you're done with the test already. anyone be bold enough maybe some or maybe you could volunteer someone that's always kind of fun <laughs> say why don't you why don't you say something you said something good i volunteered this guy <laughs> um you don't have to do that uh what are some things that i mean there's lots of directions to go what are some things that have and maybe you'll be just maybe it's okay to be a little honest like what what has kept you personally back from praying for miracles anybody want to go first yes in the far back nick tony Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. So your you, so your first point is it's societal. Society kind of says, why would you pray for like for instance, why would you pray if someone came to you and you're like, man, I got a headache, and you're in church. Well, could can you pray for healings of headaches? Yeah. Could you also take a Tylenol? <laughs> you could. And so our society says it's silly. Why would you pray for my head? That's what society says. I'm not saying this is true. I'm not saying this is good. But our society says, why would you pray? For a headache, just give me a Tylenol. Reach into your purse. Stop praying. Give me the Tylenol. You know what I mean? It's what our society says. And I'm not saying I'm saying that. I'm saying that is kind of what our society says, you know? Uh, what else? Anybody bold enough to share? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Can I ask the question, can you be honest and say, have you ever prayed for something, and maybe quite seriously prayed for something, but it, it didn't, God didn't answer you in the way you thought. God didn't, frankly, God didn't answer you. He didn't answer the prayer, you know? How many of you would say that? I'd say maybe all of us, you know? I don't see anyone um, going against that idea. And I think next week, I, I do want to, um, I, I think next week I'm going to spend the entire hour talking about why do we pray for miracles? And, and sometimes they happen, and that's amazing. And a miracle truly happens, and some of us have seen true miracles. But in, honestly, in my life, I've prayed for a lot more things that haven't happened, and, and God hasn't answered. And so, and so I think we'll, we'll get into the, the theology behind that. Why doesn't God answer us when we ask, even though he says he will? Have you ever thought that? Be honest. I think it, it, is, a, it is a position of doubt, and uh, we're going to talk about that next time. And so thank you for sharing. Uh, but the question, question is, what, what keeps us from, from praying for miracles? I saw some hands over here. Yes, Josh. Would you, mi- would you mind standing up? There's a big room. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So we... we praying God's will, we want to be in line with that. But at the same time, a, a lot of us might argue, is it, is it God's will that, that this person has a, a disease or has cancer? Is, is disease God's will? And I would say, no, I don't know that that's God's will. I think there's sin and death on this earth. And this, this will be more of a talk for next week if I'm whetting your appetite and getting you thinking about things as to why they don't happen. But uh, I think it is God's will for someone to be not sick, right? And so... Can, is it okay to pray, God, if it's your will for this person not to be sick? I think it is God's will for that person to not be sick. We'll talk about that uh, next time. Yes, Robin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, the umbrella kid last week, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. I really thank you for sharing that. And that's that's honest. Like I think sometimes we don't see miracles happen or at least we pray for them but don't see them because there's there's a faith. There's a lack of faith. And I don't know that that's always the case. We will talk about that next time, but that is in the in the Bible there's certain times when Jesus says uh, they, they prayed for a miracle it didn't happen and he basically says it's a it's a lack of faith issue. And so um, I, I think I saw your hand. Do you want to comment as the last one? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. I think I think that's true. Yeah, can we can we pray for the doctor to help in the healing process? I think that's a legitimate prayer. Yeah, I think so. And so, yeah, thank you, thank everyone for sharing. Um, and this is a it's a legitimate question. What keeps us from praying for miracles? Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. It turns people, hey, if you're praying for something and, and non-Christians are watching and it doesn't happen, it, the, it, yeah, it's not legitimate. And they think, oh, Christianity's silly. That's good. Thank you for sharing that point. Um, yeah, we'll talk about, we'll t- next week, I, hopefully this has this gotten you thinking a little bit. It's gotten me thinking a little bit. And next week we'll talk about it. But I want to leave you with this passage. And uh, if you want to read along. That, that it's good. It's, I'm going to kind of read it as a prayer, really, and as a, a point of meditation. It's in Mark 11, uh, Mark 11:22. And as you're turning there and, and uh, in Mark 11:22, 22, uh, I just want to make it available as we talk about miracles, that we really truly believe that miracles happen today. And I don't think anyone would, would overly deny that as, you know, as a fact that you know, the Holy Spirit is alive and active today. We don't believe in a deist God that has walked away, but we do believe in a God who is active and living and guides and protects and preserves us here on this earth. And, uh, and as we talk about miracles, there, there, there'll be myself up here and a few people with leadership name tags up here. And if you are in need of prayer, and it, it, may, it may be something that has to happen that's big. Uh, maybe God needs to speak to you about a direction and you, and you want to pray about that or a healing and what the answer to the prayer might require a miracle. I want to not just talk about miracles, but for there to be an outlet for that. And so this passage, uh, if you want to close your eyes, you can. It's a, I, w- I want to read it as almost a meditation and really l- allow these words to think in, sink in, excuse me, because it's, I mean, Jesus really says this right here. And what he says is, is it, tr- it transcends words. And it's, and it's simply amazing. And, it's, and honestly, for myself included, it's hard to believe this but it's it's truth it's what god himself says uh as he was on this earth and it says this so it's mark eleven twenty two. have faith in god jesus answered he says this i tell you the truth if anyone says to this mountain go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen then it will be done for him therefore i tell you whatever you ask for in prayer Believe that you have received it, 
and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Let's pray. God, we, we come to you right now humbled by your words, humbled by, by you saying, believe and do not doubt, have faith, and what we pray for will be revealed to us. God, we, we do love you. We come to you in faith. God, help us believe. God, our prayer is that you would take away doubt and increase our faith, that we might, we might see these miracles. We might, in the Bible, we might see things today. We might see your hand upon this earth and praise you for that, that we might see our own faiths build as we, as we see things and hear of things and hear of testimonies of you acting on this earth today. And so, Jesus, we do praise you. We leave here in, in happiness, in God, in faithfulness, that you are God. God, that you are sovereign, that you know everything. You know our, you know our hearts. God, that we want to be in tune with your will. And so, God, we leave here expecting and, and, and enjoy that you are in control. So we love you and we do praise you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen.